Yeah. So whenever I'm talking to someone like that, I know personally or something like that, I just refer to myself as a libertarian. Uh, if I do want to get more broad or more specific than that, then I'll say I'm an anarcho-capitalist and I'll kind of explain what that means. So um, what happened was at my job, I was working full time and they said, hey, because of COVID, we're going to have you work two or three days a week. And I was like, okay, had all this free time. And I was like, well, this is kind of boring just being home. You know, you can only play like so many games of Madden before you get bored. It's either going to happen now or it's probably not going to happen ever. You know, Everybody decided to start caring about the police about this time last year. Um, and I say started to because they were told to, which because most people will do what they're told. Mostly, yeah, still though, the past couple of years, I've really gone from more of like, yeah, it's the politician's fault to, you know, it's a cop. I, especially with like the locked woke narrative, this racial, this racially obsessed narrative is, is frankly, it is disgusting. I think as it relates to the country, unity is going to come at the price of people like us who are, who believe, who actually believe in freedom. Welcome to the show. I am your host, L.B. Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. Interview with Drew Hancock, LockoutDays.com. I wanted to have Drew on the show because uh, he does content that's very different from me. Where I tend to go long, he focuses on shorter bite-sized very consumable pieces that express ideas really really well so that's 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 one of the main reasons other than just generally trying to find more people to talk to and network and do this as best i can if you've been listening to my interviews you know that i think a good conversation is a lot like jazz and a good conversationalist is a lot like a good jazz musician. What's been fun about the past couple interviews I've done is that we've all been uh, we've all been playing in the same key. If you understand the uh, musical metaphor at play, we all have a similar grasp of the same basics. And we all know the tune that we like to hear. There might be some discordant elements within that. But that is one of the many reasons why I like jazz is sometimes it's about finding the friction. And pushing past that. There has to be a resolution. There has to be. We are... I hate to be so... I don't want to be like every other content creator out there that says that the world is ending because it's not. The world is ever changing. The world is ever developing. And the same thing goes for culture, for all the things that we talk about, which is why you should listen to this show because the Been Awake podcast is for better sense making. So let's get into it. Warning, the following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include 
skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. So Drew, a little bit out of laziness, I like to say, but really because I'm, I'm fascinated with this question from a philosophical angle, I like to start the show with a question, which is, how do you self-identify and what schools of thought do you belong to? Yeah, so whenever I'm talking to someone like that I know personally or something like that, I just refer to myself as a libertarian. Uh, if I do want to get more broad or more specific than that, then I'll say I'm an anarcho-capitalist and I'll kind of explain what that means. Um, I know a lot of people would probably consider me to be more like a paleo-libertarian or something like that. I don't. I just consider myself, I'm an ANCAP and that's basically it. Um, as far as schools of thought go, um, I mean, I've read like Austrian economics and stuff. I don't really talk about economics and it's not really one of my focuses. It's not one of my strengths. Like there are a lot of people who know a lot more about economics than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, basically I just consider myself an ANCAP. I don't yeah. know what other labels I might have, but yeah. Well, it's always good to kind of start where people are. And so what I always like to say, and it's my, you know, it's my Twitter profile and all that stuff, but I'm a philosophical skeptic with libertarian politics. And so, I mean, in general, I try to approach things from a skeptical frame of mind. That's what I try to teach here on the Been Awake podcast for better sense making. Um, and, and by skepticism, I mean putting inquiry before dogma, um, which, which I think is an important thing. And I think certainly those of us outside of the political mainstream or, you know, outside of the, the dominant narrative, we have, we have this understanding of skepticism. And most people think they have an understanding of skepticism because we live in like the scientific time. Right. And so, oh, well, science has skepticism in it. And, and, you know, like a lot of things they don't ever, it's enough to say, I believe in science, right. It's enough to say, I believe in questioning things when in reality, you know, you're not, you're not questioning anything of, of particular consequence. I mean, I have a video about that. It's kind of ironic. There are a lot of people who are like, I'm too smart for religion. I believe in the empiricism of science. But then they believe like anything that someone says, as long as it's labeled science by like the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't realize that, you know, a big part of science is questioning what's already been established and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I think it's kind of ironic, but yeah. Well, let's talk about your videos for a little bit because so when, how, how long have you been producing content? Um, so I started in November. So um, what happened was at my job, I was working full time and they said, hey, because of COVID, we're going to have you work two or three days a week. And I was like, okay, that works. I mean, I'm still getting paid for the days I'm not working. So whatever, but I had all this free time and I was like, well, this is kind of boring just being home. You know, you can only play like so many games of Madden before you get bored. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, you know what? I've been a libertarian for a long time. I had tried before to make content, but you know, I would get too nervous and I was young. So I was like, no one's going to want to listen to me. So when you uh, say young, how young are we talking about? I think I first... I think I made my first attempt at making a video. I was probably 15. Okay. And I uploaded like, it was me talking about how I became a libertarian or why I became a libertarian, one of the two. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I was up for like a week. I had like one comment saying, hey, really good job. And then mm-hmm. I deleted it. No one else yeah. ever saw it. But, uh, and yeah, and then I tried to make more stuff over the years and just never stuck. But uh, this time I was like, hey, I got all this free time. I'm bored. It's either going to happen now or it's probably not going to happen ever. Mm-hmm. Well, and you seem to be doing pretty well so far. I mean, you're killing it on Twitter. You're getting crazy. <laughs> you're getting some very interesting engagement and you're you're handling the trolling thing quite well, if I may say so. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting 
who tweets with 50,000 likes about Daniel Shaver. Like, uh, I don't know how that happened. I don't even know I, uh, who that is. <laughs> he was uh, this dude who got shot like the worst police shooting ever. Okay. He was oh, crawling was he the one in fours. Arizona? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I and he was crawling on all fours, like begging for his life, and they just blew mm -hmm. him away. Yeah, that's a that's a horrific video. I I've I've watched the video. I just don't always remember names. So that is yeah. uh yeah, well, that one that. shook me. <laughs> well that's and that's one of the ones too where I mean, you know, let's fucking let's get into it. Let's get into it nice and quick. That's one of the ones too where it's when we're talking about police videos, you know, everybody decided to start caring about the police about this time last year. Um, and I say started to because they were told to, which because most people will do what they're told. And, you know, a lot of people will, a, a lot in the corporate press will, will lament um, the woes of police brutality. And yet, and they'll also talk about the importance of banning somebody like Alex Jones. But before Alex Jones, there was the Free Thought Project and there was Cop Block. And those guys were banned, I believe, in 2016. You know, like they were one of the first, even before the Alex Jones thing, which was crazy. And everybody, everybody kind of saw that as like, as a watershed moment, all of these, these libertarian focused, these freedom focused anti-police pages were with millions of followers on Facebook and elsewhere were actually, were actually scrubbed from these social media platforms. Did you, do you follow free? I mean, I'm assuming you follow three free thought project. Uh, I've heard of it. I don't actually follow it. And probably because, probably because they've been banned for so <laughs> long. They I got mean, banned for everything. <laughs> you know, they were one of the ones, even like when I was a little bit more, um, you know, when I was a little bit more, I don't know, milk toast, I guess you'd call it. Um, <laughs> but you know, where it was, it was like, Oh, you know, that's a little too much, but I at least there was free thought project and then cop lock and cop lock was always um, oversteps, like oversteps of police. And that was those, these days that I'm thinking of were when the open carry demonstrations were really big. Right. And you'd have that guy who was open carrying in a, in a place and he was, um, you know, and he would like cite the law or you would have people filming. This was, I guess, in the er er early stages of having a decent enough camera on your phone to where you could record an interaction. Um, when, cause it seems, cause given that, you know, even people, even people younger than you probably are out there saying a cab <laughs> was there, was there a point in your life where you bought into the system or was it always kind of something where you were just a kid and then you came out of it? Cause I would say, I would say there was a long period of time where I understood there were problems with the police. Um, but you know, growing up, they were, you know, they were, they were people to be respected and looking back, I can think of all the bad interactions I had with them. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I've been a libertarian for a very long time. I know that um, whenever I was a kid, I used to write a lot and I had like a journal and stuff and, you know, I've looked through it and I wrote things like uh, communism sucks, democracy rules and stuff. So yeah, there was certainly a point whenever I was in like elementary school where I bought into it. Okay. But um, basically in 2011 and 2012, my dad was a Ron Paul supporter and I kind of like picked stuff up from him. And, you know, a couple of years later I was like, Hey, I'm old now. I want to learn about politics. And I went back and, learned about Ron Paul. And even back then, I remember like my dad telling me like, Hey, after you get a driver's license, don't consent to a search. Uh, don't, don't tell them that you're, that you have weed, like mm -hmm. ask if you're being detained and stuff like that. So I've known about that yeah. for a while. And I mean, I used to watch videos whenever I was a 12 year old okay. of people recording police interactions and stuff like that. So, right. I mean, yeah. So basically there was a time whenever I was kind of bought into it, but as long as I can remember, I haven't been. Yeah. Well, and if you're, and if you have your dad where he's at least, you know, and knowing your rights is an important thing, you don't have to, it, it's not, 
it, that's not exclusive to one ideology. But if your dad was already a Ron Paul supporter, that <laughs> that that sets you up. That sets you up in a good way. I mean, I was um my, our so my high school was a little weird, and it had a huge military component. And there was a point of time where I almost joined the military. Um, and but uh, the major who was the senior instructor, your senior year of high school, for an entire quarter, your job was to memorize the Fourth Amendment. And to the it's uh, I mean, and you and your job was to understand the entirety of the Fourth Amendment, what it meant, all the history behind it, and understand what your rights were when you got stopped. And at the time, it was just kind of like, oh, this is just something that major does, right? This, you know, whatever. But looking back, it really is this, uh, you know, he was old school, right? He was, I'm pretty sure he was in some kind of special unit uh, when he when he served, and he was really big on the idea of civil liberties. And so, you know, he's like, all you dumbass, all you dumbass kids <laughs> need to understand that the cops aren't your friends in this. And when they come to pull you over, you don't need, they don't need to search your car. Yeah. I mean, uh, my dad, like he's more conservative leaning. That's one of the things that we disagree about. So like I've kind of diverged from him he's hmm. not like an ANCAP and stuff. And that's one of the big things that we disagree on. But, uh, so yeah, he talks about how the politicians are to blame and not the cops and stuff like that. And I'm way more anti-cop than him. Yeah. But uh, still, yeah, he sent me down that path originally. And uh, <laughs> mostly, yeah, still, though, the past couple of years, I've really gone from more of like, yeah, it's a politician's fault to no, it's the cops, I, especially with like the lockdowns and stuff. Yeah, I think that was that was certainly the one for more conservative minded people on the right. Um, that was certainly one where you where you see it a lot more. And I mean, I I mean, it still is. I look at the cops are a weapon, right? If you, or if you talk to a soldier, a soldier is a weapon. They are a tool that is used by the civilian government. So it is, I don't, I, I try to not see as many questions in terms of either or, um, but, or, you know, it could be both one or the other or both. And so obviously there's a huge point to be said for the fact that these politicians still get elected, but that doesn't, that doesn't remove the individual culpability of every single cop that's pulled over a kid and sent him to jail for the night because he had marijuana in his car or yeah. you know i yeah. i was I, I told a story recently and maybe on the last uh, last interview i did with james gentleman of the blackbird podcast or maybe i told said it off air but i was i was like 17 right and we were leaving my grandmother's condominium in oak park illinois and heading back out to the suburbs where i lived and we were getting on the highway and this is like a super busy exit entrance onto the highway always packed and a cop's lights went on right when we got onto the um right as we were getting onto the on-ramp i'm like what's going on i have no idea and they pull us over and they say oh well your suit your um your your seatbelt's not done I'm like well my seatbelt was done my brother was with one of my brothers was with me his seatbelt was done up and i'm like i you know i don't know what you're talking about my seatbelt's been on you know officer here's my license here's my insurance yada 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 well at the time i, I had never touched marijuana i was pretty square um, I, I had never even gotten drunk at this point. Right. And I was, I was though a pipe smoker because, you know, cigars and dip were really, really cool. And so I thought, and if you were extra cool, because one of the priests would, uh, one of the monks would, would smoke a pipe with Captain Black's pipe tobacco. So if you were extra cool, you got, you, you, you would uh, get a pipe and you would smoke a pipe. And so I had, a little corn cob pipe about, you know, two or three inches that was obviously for weed, but I didn't even think about this at the time. And I had it sitting in the cup holder of my car. 
Well, in retrospect, I think back at that story, and that's probably why they pulled me over was to do this drug bust. So they pull myself and my brother over. They make me get out of the car. They make my brother get out of the car. And this is like, we're talking, you know, cars going 60 miles an hour and we're not even on a full shoulder where there would be room to get out of the car. And my little brother would wear basketball shorts and wrap his cell phone, because this was still flip phones at this point, would wrap his cell phone in the waistband. And the cop says to him, hey, watch where you put your hands. If you do that again, I'm going to shoot you or I might shoot you. It was something to that effect. And I'm and I I think back on this memory because I'm sitting there in an army ROTC T-shirt. I have a military (laughs) haircut because that's what I had in those days. And these guys are tearing my car apart on the side of the highway for no good reason. And I, and they were, you know, they were trying to trip me up doing the thing that they do. And it, um, you know, when you're young, I think, and you know, maybe it's less so for you, but you think, Oh, I want to maybe be a FBI agent. Cause that seems cool. Or the detectives on TV. And that's never the interaction that you actually have with the police. I mean, I can think of, I can think of nice cops I've met when they're off duty, but any cop I've had an interaction with in the, in the line of their duty, they've always been, you know, okay to really, really like super assholes, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've only been pulled over once and uh, it was for speeding. I went 42 and a 30 and uh, yeah, he let me off with the warning. So that's the only interaction I've ever had. Dude, uh, it was fine. But I mean, I've interacted with cops, like, like in my work, I work at a bank and we have, you know, customers who come in and like police uniforms and, you know, they range, you know, some are cool, some aren't, but uh, I mean, yeah, personally, I don't really know how they are. I mean, there's something to be said and people make the argument that if you're going into a line of work where you're going to bark orders at people and, you know, pat people down and put yourself out like that, that may lend itself to a personality type. That's kind of, you know, like an asshole, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. but uh, I don't really, I haven't experienced that myself. Um, and I mean, as far as like the personal culpability thing, that's also something where like, I would say like, you know, I've been pulled over for speeding and they said, Hey, you can go. And, uh, I'm not going to give you a ticket. Uh, I don't know if they pull someone over for marijuana in a state where it's still completely illegal, if they could do that or not. But uh, I mean, that's something to think about, you know, like if you pull over an 18 year old kid and he's got a bag of weed, do you really want to send it you know, send this kid to jail and ruin a lot of his life? Like uh, exactly something to think about, you know, or, or even just the frightening aspect of it where you're not even doing anything wrong. And, you know, okay, maybe you're impaired while driving, but, or maybe you're just sitting somewhere because, you know, you're in your driveway and, and that's how they, and that's how they get you. Right. Or, or you get pulled over for another reason, which happened to me once and your car just kind of stinks um, <laughs> from a cup from like the night before or something. And it's, I, I don't know. I think what bothers me about the dominant narrative today is how it's on. Unt- and, and this isn't by accident, I think, and tell me what, tell me if you agree how untethered it is from the state, from, from, from the analysis of the state, which is, of course, as libertarians, what we're always interested in. Because like I just in my personal interactions with family members, you know, after after the George after the George Floyd incident and Breonna Taylor and ever and so on and so forth. And, you know, Duncan Lemp, which nobody bothers to talk about, um, which happened all at the same time as these things tend to. 
there was a um there's it's it's just this oh well a cab all cops are bastards all cops are bad depending on how pg you want to be <laughs> and i remember having the conversation of somebody came to me and said oh well you know this is did you know that when a new york city police detective retires he makes like a hundred something thousand dollars in, in a pension and like because of all the overtime they get and they max out the overtime with the time with the way they spend in court i'm like yeah, you know that the same thing happens with the MTA and they can't even keep the trains running on time. And okay, you can argue that that's a little that's a little autist, fine, but <laughs> the general but you know, but the general point is like this isn't actually a problem of the cops per se, it's a problem of government and how that incentivizes the cops to do things because as I wrote in a piece that I published this Monday about open and closed borders, it's human beings respond to incentives no matter how many different ways you want to how many different ways you want to serve it up that's a fundamental truth yeah so i mean uh, it kind of goes into like the whole public choice thing so i know that anthony davies has a really good talk about it where he talks about how you know the person who works at the dmv like the dmv sucks or website sucks it's not because oh all the bad people go work at the dmv it's because there aren't the incentives there like no matter what they're going to have your service mm-hmm. and uh, it kind of goes into the same thing i mean if the police were privatized and they're uh, competing services and you weren't forced to be served by these people, then uh, yeah, it may be very well different. So yeah, I think that, you know, there's a point to that for sure. So you, so you're, you classify yourself as an anarchist. Yes. So when, what was, what was the, what was the line for you? Because, and I can get into, I can get into my position on anarchy versus minarchy, as you might imagine, it has something to do with skepticism. Um, but what was, what was the line for you and what made you make that leap? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, um, it's kind of weird for me. So, you know, I was like a Ron Paul, like minarchist type for a couple of years. Then uh, I was an ANCAP for a couple of years after that. And then I was like, I don't think I know enough about this to where I can call myself an ANCAP. So I went back to being a minarchist, minarchist and now I'm an ANCAP again. So basically, yeah, I was like a Ron Paul, like we need to get back to the constitution and uh, then I watched, then I started watching Stefan Molyneux and his whole thing was, you know, the non-aggression principle. And, you know, if it's wrong for me to initiate force, why do we have the government? And I was like, you know, logically that makes sense. So I guess I'm an ANCAP. And then a couple of years into that, I was like, I don't think that's sufficient to be an ANCAP. Like I can't just tell people like, well, you know, the non-aggression principle, that's it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I thought about it some more. And then eventually I came back to where I'm like, yeah, now I'm an ANCAP and I'm going to stay an ANCAP. Yeah. But uh, yeah, what it originally was a non-aggression principle. And then I think what brought me back was just thinking about it. And I mean, the thing that just gets me is there's no way, I don't think there is a way to maintain a minarchist state. And I don't think that you ever could maintain a minarchist state. Um, but yeah, that's basically what it comes down to to me. And I don't think that there's anything that uh, the market couldn't do, if that makes sense. Yeah. That the I government's mean, currently doing. Yeah. Right. No. And I think in general, I agree with that assertion. Um, you know, to take a bit of a detour on just the idea of anarchy in general, because so many people, I try, I try, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of libertarians and, you know, I've, I joined the, I joined the takeover. I'm working within the state party in Illinois. I am going to take over. I am going to, well, help take over the national party. I plan to take over the Illinois party if I, if I'm so, if I'm, you know, lucky and good enough, but there's, you know, in general, the term anarchy is met with so much confusion um, and so for a more general audience, right, an easy way, the, the, the first thing for me was listening to a lecture of Walter Block's, 
uh, who's a great economist out of um, Loyola University down in New Orleans. He's written books like Defending the Undefendable and, and a bunch of other stuff and countless papers. And do you know how many published papers he's at now? Is he at a thousand yet? Or I know he hit 500. I have, I have no idea. I just know that he's been around forever. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he is. Uh, he, his was actually the one, his was the lecture that I first ever got for like, why I'm, you know, for like libertarianism one-on-one his lecture on that. Before that I had read road to serfdom. Um, and this would have been 2012. And, you know, I figured I would take a look at the libertarian thing after Mitt Romney was elected president because we had to beat the socialist scourge of Barack Obama. So this tells you a little bit about how far <laughs> I've come in the last in the last nine years, you know. But I remember what he said was most people conflate anarchy with the word chaos. And it, in fact, is simply means without rulers. And personally, I, I do a lot with like words and definitions in my writing because I'm trying to make sure people understand things in a particular way. So what have you found to be the difficult, the most difficult thing about is it just the standard arguments or where do you run into? Um, I can tell you a story about a, a Tinder date I had where I tried <laughs> where I tried calling myself an anarchist. But I'm curious about your thoughts in that you actually accept the term because I don't reject the term. I just don't. I'm more directional than I am destinational, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that a lot of people think it means chaos because of left anarchists, you know, who go around smashing buildings, destroying private property and stuff like that. So I think that's where the negative connotation comes from for the most part. Um, and then I think even without that, there would still be the negative connotation because it's like, you know, you don't want government to exist. We have to have it for society to function. Otherwise, we're going to have feudalism and warlords. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where a big part of it is. Um, whenever people ask me like, so you're an anarchist, I'm like, or I usually say anarcho-capitalist whenever I'm explaining to someone. And I say, I'm an anarchist who still believes in the right to own private property. Right. And um, yeah, I actually just had a conversation with one of like, my best friends I've known for 10 years, a couple of days ago. And uh, he was like, so what have you been up to? And I'm like, well, I started doing this YouTube thing. And I'm like, I, you, you didn't know this about me, but I'm like an, anar- I'm an anarchist. He was like, mm-hmm. oh, so what do you believe? And I like, well, I'm an anarchist, but I believe in private property, yada, yada, yada. And he was like, yeah, I think I pretty much agree with that. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. And uh, like my dad and stuff. So I like try to explain it to him. And he's not just like, that's crazy. You're going to lead a war. He's like, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I don't agree with it, but I see with it. So, I mean, I haven't had like the, you're a crazy person. What are you talking about? Interaction with anyone like personally Mm -hmm. online. Of course, I've had that people say that I want like McNukes and stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, personally, I haven't had that uh, bad of a problem. What up? But you're, but you're, are you part of the party as well? Or are you yeah, just... I'm in the LP. Okay, yeah. so you're in the LP. So you're not somebody who rejects politics outright, because I've talked to some agorists on the show, like Jose Galison and James, and you know James Gentleman a little bit. We ju- I just released the interview with him this past Sunday. Um, so talk to me about that, because I think I'm, I'm interested in this, especially because of our age difference. Um, you know, like I'm 28. Because in 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 that like most uh, I I was saying recently, and I'm saying to a lot of people, I think it's a different time. And I think there was a long period of time you could like from the late 80s, basically until four or five years ago, where the case of libertarians existing outside of the political system, not really caring about running for office, you know, just having a business, engaging in theory, going to conferences made a lot of sense. And maybe I'm just saying that because that's what I was doing, you know. 
but I, I think, but I think that there's something different happening now to where the political argument actually is worth discussing. And, and it's one of the reasons why I'm, why I'm coming in. And frankly, I've been spending more time on Twitter, which isn't healthy for you, but, um, <laughs> But I, I'm starting to see why I'm starting to see a why people don't want to be called libertarian anymore who are good libertarians and b like in and then Facebook is even worse where like where the word has suddenly shifted from where what it meant when I started learning about these ideas which again you know we're going on eight nine years at this point. Yes, yeah, so uh, I mean I'm pretty new to the party. I've been in I've been involved with like the Mises Caucus since November of 2019. I officially joined I think last May or April, okay. one of the two. Um, but yeah, and I mean I get like the agorists who think that like politics are is stupid and stuff. Like I agree, politics is stupid, it brings out the worst in people. But at the same time, you look and you see like who had the most success like spreading libertarianism, and it was Ron Paul through the political process. It was through the Republican Party, and I think that there is an interesting debate there on which one is better for spreading liberty. Absolutely. Um, even if the Republican Party, I think that even if you know the Republican Party is better for spreading liberty, there's still something to be said about having a libertarian party that represents real libertarianism and is principled and goes all out for it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, that's basically where I was. I first heard about it from um, Scott Horton on a part of the problem with Dave Smith, he was talk talking about Jacob Hornberger. And uh, then I learned more about Michael Heiss and the Mises caucus and that they were trying to re-spark the Ron Paul revolution and stuff. And I thought, yeah, I'm in board with that. And uh, yeah, after you join, you realize, man, there are a lot of bad libertarians in the LP, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, like the Mises caucus, the Dave Smith types, the Michael Heiss types there, I think we're quickly growing. And I think we pretty mm -hmm. much, as long as I think that we have the numbers outside the party, the thing is just getting people to come in because people have been like dissuaded from joining the political process and stuff. Right. So uh, I think that that's a big part of it. But uh, and then I think that the really annoying people, like I don't really want to name names, but you know who I'm talking about, like the really annoying people who think that you're anti-transgender because you say the word tranny and stuff like even mm -hmm, if you want, right. even if you don't want government involvement in it for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, like those people are annoying, but, and you know, they're the people who like love Joe Jorgensen and Gary Johnson and think that running someone like Dave Smith would be crazy. But uh, for the most part, most people in it, I think are pretty good from who I've interacted with. Yeah. I think Illinois might be a slightly different state in that <laughs> regard. Um, and, and I don't, and I don't want to speak to, I don't even want to speak, speak disparaging of people to begin with. On the, on the Republican point, I do think there is a huge case to be made that basically Republicans have abandoned the idea of free markets and individual liberty. Um, to the extent that they paid lip service to that, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, it's almost entirely gone. And, you, and conservatives are by their nature followers. I, I, I like to say right follows the left. So there's, there's something to be said for the fact that if you actually put a message out there, that there's, there's a place for the conservatives to come and even and even vote even if they won't even if they won't accept uh, even if they won't accept the whole the whole message. Um, I'm, I don't know. I, I go back and forth on the whole three the three legged stool argument. I think there's a case for it, but it's it's a very it's a very convoluted one, and it's not as simple as the way somebody like Walter Block or Dave Smith would would really put it. But it's a use. But it's useful. It's pragmatically useful um, for for people to use kind of you know as as a as a messaging thing. I worry. 
what I worry and, and just in general, right? What I worry about is is political power and the political process and what it does. So I'm somebody who I, I really like Friedrich Nietzsche. And he's got a lot of interesting ideas, you know, super influential philosopher of the uh, late, you know, late 19th, late 19th century. And one thing he has, and it's always stuck with me is that the exception is better provided it doesn't become the rule. And what I, and, you know, so it's basically what just to say what happens when somebody actually has power and I, um, you know, but, but then here I am actually saying that I'm going to be doing this stuff, right? Because you may as well, because otherwise somebody else is going to have the name libertarian and I'm going to say that. And then, yeah, it is a Joe Jorgensen or a Gary Johnson. And I do believe, I frankly believe that Gary Johnson was somebody got to him. I, I think that he was, you know, and it was Bill Weld, but I mean, it was Raytheon or whomever else it was, but I think that there were conversations had behind the scenes where he was, um, you know, he was told not to be as, as good of a libertarian as he was in the past, or maybe it, maybe it's just an age thing. What, I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah. I think that there's a big thing to be said that um, there's a lot of people who kind of made themselves through the libertarian party. Mm -hmm. So like Sarawak, like no one knew who he was before he was chair of the LP and involved in the LP. Nobody knew so someone like that, I started going after Tom Woods. Frankly. That's a very good point too. Yeah. yeah. That's how I heard about him. I'm like, who's this dude calling Tom Woods a fascist sympathizer? Like what? But uh, yeah, and, and get, I mean, I'm sorry to cut ahead. you off, but no, but you, you, cause you deal with a little more hate than I do. I still haven't, I still haven't broken a hundred <laughs> followers on Twitter. Um, and so I'm, so it has, have you ever had that happen? I've had people call me a fascist in person. There's a video somewhere out there on the internet of me being called a fascist for saying that the racial hierarchy is bullshit. Literally, I'm saying <laughs> that the racial hierarchy is bullshit. And some guy holding the camera starts calling me a fascist. Um, have, you, has, have you ever had somebody like that in person? Or what do you normally find is their reasoning for doing it? Or is it just simply, you know, is it them just associating you with bad words? And so they're basically trying to cast a spell to make you go away. Yes. I mean, in person, I've never encountered like anything like that. Um, online, especially, I don't get that much hate. Whenever I had my Daniel Shaver tweet go viral, I, uh, I got 16 likes in like the first like 30 seconds. So I was like, this might go big. So I linked under it my uh, cop video. Mm. And so after the tweet went viral, I'm having conservatives. I'm having like BLM people watch it. And that's a video where no one except libertarians is going to give me credit because on the left, I say they're stupid because they focus on like the racial aspect instead of the police power aspect. And then for the right wingers, I say, well, we don't need police. So <laughs> I got hate from all sides in that one. So I had people calling me like, you're an idiot. I had someone say, uh, you look like someone who doesn't think that systemic racism exists, even though I didn't even say that systemic racism doesn't exist. And I suppose in the video, let's say systemic racism is real. That doesn't change the fact that we need to get rid of cops altogether. Right. Um, so, I mean, yeah. And I mean, I'm basically just make a joke out of them. So, uh, you know, like uh, there's one person where I was going through making fun of how old they were and stuff. Like if people are going to insult me, then yeah, I'll make fun of you back. Um, mm. A lot of people I just block. Okay. Um, if they're just like, you're stupid and like, there's nothing that I can do with it and there's nothing that they're saying about you, then yeah, I'll just block them. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of it is just people lashing out. Like they think that I care about their opinion and I don't. Um, and yeah, that's 
that's a big thing that I kind of touched on that most people, I don't care about their opinion. I care about the people I can reach and I care about making my message as clear as I can so that I can reach as many people as possible. But if people just aren't getting it, then whatever, I don't care. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, I mean, a lot of it is just not taking it personally and just not taking it too seriously. I certainly spent a lot of time <laughs> working really hard to be as charitable to different opinions as I could. Um, you know, probably as a consequence of being in universities for too long and not ever getting the piece of paper, but it, it just, but I think that that's, that's been a shift too, that a lot of people kind of realize that, eh, you know what, we don't need to, we don't need to have this full conversation right now anymore. There are problems with that. Um, you know, and that's why I, 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 I'm, I've been reaching out to some of those, um, some of the more left-leaning libertarians, uh, even some of the ones who would say, you know, this is the conversation is transphobic or bigoted in some way, because frankly, I don't interact with people like that. Like I don't really associate with people like that in my personal life, not for, not for any particular reason, just kind of how things sort out as you get older and work all the time and who you spend time with is actually of importance to you because your free time is valuable, you know? Um, and, and so I want, I, I believe in having a dialogue, and, but unity comes at a cost, right? I wrote that, I, I talked about that with, you know, with Joe Biden talking about unity in his inaugural address. And it's interesting that it's kind of gone away pretty quickly, which doesn't surprise me. But I, you know, what I said then, and what I'll say it again to people who think that libertarian unity is a thing, is that unity comes at a price and it's a pretty high price. Um, I think as it relates to the country, unity is going to come at the price of people like us who are, who believe, who actually believe in freedom and who believe in individual rights. And I think it, but in in terms of libertarian party politics, libertarian unity comes at the price of libertarians, uh, non-libertarians leaving the party because otherwise that, because there can't be libertarian unity with people who are not libertarians. And if the term is up for debate, well then, you know, now we're back to my skepticism. You know, I, I, I was I was saying on the last show with with James Gentleman that I really think that identity itself in a philosophical sense is a paradox, because on the one hand, we can sit here and talk about all the important ideas that we have. And yet, on the other hand, somebody else listening to this, be they BLM, Marxist, whatever, will say, well, they're just two cisgendered heteronormative men having a and, you know, proudly so, um, you know, having a conversation about about you know stuff that they have no business talking about and so therefore they should be dismissed and it's that it's that mentality it's that impulse that frankly had me come back and start writing again um because i was i i I had i basically i've been working a job i really like for the last three years i get to travel the country i get to do interesting things meet interesting people um you know and it's a sales job and i like i like doing sales but with the lockdowns and then the rioting, I was like, I can't. And then, and then also people calling me, I was like, I can't, I can't stay on the sidelines anymore because this has to be, this has to be dealt with because I, because I, I don't, I don't deal with that woke. I, I, I am not woke. I've been awake. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the idea is this woke narrative, this racial, this racially obsessed narrative is, is frankly, it is disgusting to me. And it is, crazy it is crazy when i peer back into the overton window because i don't have cable anymore i don't even really watch netflix um that often like i have an account but especially after the cuties thing i just didn't feel like i didn't feel i just didn't feel comfortable 
you know, even, even doing it, even though I don't pay for the account, um, you know, I don't, so I don't, I don't peek in. And what I'm, what I'm shocked at is I've been writing and doing all this content for the past six months is how blatant the racializing has become. And it's, and it's a problem because nobody is, well, because I think the people at the top and you tell me if you agree, they know what they're doing and they understand that um, they understand that they're pushing groups of people too far. And I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what, Drew, I'm starting to see it with some of the people that are not really politically active. I wouldn't really consider them to be philosophical, but I'm friends with them for one reason or another. And, you know, they're coming up to me and they're saying things that are just, that are far more racially charged than I would ever have expected to hear uh, from them even, even, even eight months ago. And there's this, um, and all I can think to do is try and stand and try and stand up and say, no, there's a better path forward. We don't have to succumb to this racializing narrative, which is just, it's just unnecessary in the 21st century. And you said you listened to Molyneux. I've, I've listened to him for a while as well. Um, I, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what he says. I disagree with some of it, but that's the point of philosophy. I, I believe, um, you know, in that I, in that I, I walk the path of the philosopher what, what do you think about that? And, and I guess, what do you kind of see from your perspective and where you are in the country? Yes, I mean, I think with the whole BLM thing, like there was like, you know, a week or two whenever I was like, yeah, BLM, you know, they're against police brutality and stuff. But very quickly, it just, it just went into, and people say like, oh, that's the organization, not the movement. It's the movement too, where it just evolved into uh, systemic racism, white people are the problem. That's why, you know, we can burn down businesses and stuff because the police, they're all part of it, all connected. Um, and yeah, the whole thing really is to distract from state power. Like that's what the whole thing is. It's just, they're trying to get the people at the bottom to fight each other instead of looking up. And I mean, with the whole like division in the country and stuff, that's why I talk about secession. I agree with Michael Malice that, you know, the best thing to do is just separate there's no reason that the cultural conservatives and the cultural liberal liberals need to stay together in the same country. Um, and I think that's a big part of it and part of diffusing it. Um, where I disagree is I don't really want to like stoke the flames of that per se. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, cause I think that it could go either way. It could go into, you know, we secede and everyone goes their own way, or it could go into a civil war. Um, and so that's why I think that, uh, I kind of do want, you know, people to kind of just not hate each other. But at the same time, I don't know that that'll ever happen. Cause if you look like even after Trump leaves office, they still hate the right. The progressives do, they hate the right. Now they're going after like Tucker Carlson and saying that he's a literal white nationalist. Cause uh, he doesn't like immigration and stuff, which, you know, I'm for open borders, but I don't play into like the racial side of it at all. Cause I don't mm -hmm. think that the racial side matters. Uh, like, uh, you know, people like Molyneux, they talk about like race and IQ and stuff. Like, you know, I don't care. Like if it's a fact, it's a fact. Like, I don't, I'm not like, oh, he's a racist because he talks about race and IQ. Yeah. And um, I think it is that simple <laughs> to where just the, just the correlation of the terms is what, is what causes people, is what causes people to freak out. I mean, I, I kind of, you know, I try to look at, I try to look at things in terms of the system and in terms of like how people are being stoked and, you know, it's, it's, it's equal parts. And I talk about that. And I also talk about the algorithm. Um, I think a lot of people are victims of the algorithm in a sense. Um, 
and and like I was saying on Twitter the other night, I think there's I think there's a huge generational component to this as well. Um, and I think what we're seeing is older people, people over 50 years old or so, have literally have no, with few exception, have no capacity to understand what they're doing or the consequences of what they're doing when they post online. Um, and it's and it is funny. Right. It is funny at times, but then there are serious consequences as well, where, you know, families stop talking. I mean, I know a number of people in my own family that stopped talking to each other uh, last year. I myself, as a very as a very compassionate individual who doesn't really who really tries to help people and, you know, and be kind, I feel. I'm worried sometimes about talking to certain time from, I have a huge family. So talking to certain members of the family, because I don't know how they would, uh, would interpret me. And, and like, I have friends in Miami and, uh, you know, it was my fraternity's founders day yesterday. And they, they called me, they did like a video call cause a bunch of them were at a bar and a couple, and I don't really talk to a lot of them anymore. And a couple of them were like, okay, Hey, Hey, LB, tell the truth, tell the truth. You're Q, aren't you? It, you know, it's like, it, <laughs> It's just because I don't know, because that's how people associate things. Um, but it really, I, I worry about, you know, yeah, secession would be great. You know, balkanization is, is, is a good idea. Um, I think it's inevitable in a certain sense because there's just so much land mass. Um, and I, I've been, I've been thinking lately we're heading to a post-state world one way or the other, because the state didn't exist before, you know, the late 1800s. Right. You had you had the monarchy, you had empires, you've had you've had you have had massive civilizations. But the modern state is a fairly new invention in human history. And I, I, I kind of as, as time goes on, I, I realize that the ending of that system is, is pretty inevitable as 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 we move forward. But the problem is the conversation isn't there and people are more interested in staying inside of the matrix than they are exiting. And so what I try to do is give people who are looking for that way out um, the, the means to do so and the means to move above and beyond. I was just, I just had a conversation last week and they were like, you know, I never believed you. I never believed you when you were saying all that crazy stuff about the government and the way the media were, you know, the way the corporate press operates and how propaganda works. And I just kind of thought you were a little crazy, but I see it now. And I see it in the way people reacted to COVID. Yeah, I mean, uh, I haven't. So uh, whenever I first started doing like my videos, I didn't want like anyone in my personal life to know. Same. And then uh, I That's found out. So like, yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, Dave Smith, like talked about one of my videos on his podcast, which is kind of how I blew up. Mm-hmm. And like my dad knew that I was like a huge Dave Smith fan. So like I had to tell him. Yeah. Then, you know, like I tell my dad, you know, like, well, then I need to tell my mom. And then I'm like, but mom, don't tell anyone. And, you know, she tells like everyone on her side of the family. So, uh, yeah, yeah, Easter here in a couple of weeks, that's going to be uh, kind of funny because everyone kind of knows where I stand. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and today at work, it kind of got out what I do. And uh, so that'll be interesting. But uh, I don't know if I can really talk about it yet, but I put in my two weeks today at work and I was like, you know, while I'm at it, I'll tell you all what uh what I'm up what, to on the side. What you actually believe. That's that's yeah. cool though. The only thing I could possibly say to that is um, what I've focused on and we're in very different positions in this. And I think it's in some cases you should disregard this for like five or six years, not to like <laughs> sound like an, like an older brother, but that I am that. So um, 
but it's that I've tried, I've tried to focus more in the past couple of years on, like I was just saying, giving my message to people who want to hear it. Whereas before I was that guy that was like, no, you don't understand. We need to legalize all drugs. And let me explain <laughs> to you at Thanksgiving dinner, why that's the case. Um, and, and having fun with it. And, you know, I come from a family where, you know, we, we argue politics or we used to, I guess, you know, you would argue politics and big ideas and you would talk about these kinds of things. And so, whereas lately, and that's why, you know, when I started, same thing, I kind of wanted to get my feet back under me. So I told a few trusted friends, um, you know, I adopted a, I adopted a pseudonym. Uh, it's it, the dots are there for people who want to find me. I probably shouldn't say that considering, you know, more people <laughs> might listen to this one, but you know, it, it was, it was enough. And it, you know, it, it's, I, it's, it's a name that I, I like, and I, I would continue to go by, but it, it was that it was trying to get my feet wet, trying to move, trying to move on and get, you know, get, figure out that I was actually back and that I was going to keep doing this. Cause once upon a time I did this and I had everybody and everybody I knew was trying, was, I was telling to uh, you know, to go follow and subscribe and reaching out to people of all different walks of all different political persuasions. Whereas now, like I said, I don't know if it's, I don't know if the, I don't know if it's really there anymore that I could, that I could even reach out to some of the, I've thought about reaching out to them because some of these people are now in like, some of these people are now like professors, you know, they're now like teachers and I, and I see their posts and they're like, Oh yeah, I'm really excited to teach my children about anti-racism. And I'm just, and it's like, where, where, where can I even have a conversation? And so that's where I revert back to kind of doing what I'm going to do instead. Yeah, so I think that a lot of it's like building up rapport with people. So like the people I work with, you know, I worked with them for a while. They all like really like me. They're all like, Drew, you're smart. I've been, they've told me like, Drew, you should run for president someday. I would vote for you. And it's like, no, you wouldn't if you know what I believe. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, I mean, if you're just telling like random people you're not close with, like, yeah, I'm an anarchist. I mean, they're just going to dismiss you. But uh, whenever I've explained to people who like know me and like me and stuff, and I'm like, here's what I believe, I've gotten mm -hmm. nothing but respect. Yeah, and absolutely. Uh, so I mean, because they're like, well, you know, we like Drew, and you know, maybe we know that Drew's not insane. So you know, maybe there's something to this, even if they don't believe it, they at least get where I'm coming from. Exactly. Yeah, and then and then in a few years they'll be like, hey, I think you were actually right about stuff, <laughs> and then they'll be like, thank yeah. you, please subscribe. Um. So you said <laughs> so you said that you you put in your anything like crazy new up for you next, or do you just find another another gig while you keep kind of moving forward? Uh. Yes. It, it's going to be different. Like uh, I said, I probably could talk about it, but you know, no, like, no it worries. happened a few hours ago. So yeah. I'm, yeah. No, I'll you're keep good. quiet about it for now. <laughs> no, totally. No. And the, yeah, this won't get released probably until Sunday. Um, just okay. as a, just, just so you know, but that's, that's cool though. Um, is it, is it like Liberty related or you just, yes. you got a side gig. Very cool. Happy to hear that for sure. Yep. Um, we can talk more about that after the show. <laughs> <laughs> So what, so do you like, um, let's, let's switch back to the LP for a little bit. Cause you said you've been, you've been doing it for a little bit longer than I have. Are you going active in the meetings or are you more active in the caucus at the moment? Uh, so I'm going to go to the Missouri meeting here in the end of April. I already have a ticket and everything. I don't even think you need a ticket, but I take the day off from work, yeah. which, uh, now I don't even need to worry about cause I'm not going to work there anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, so I'm going to go to the Missouri meeting. I'm going to go to I think it's in Reno two years from now. I'm going to go there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm active. I'm active in like the Mises caucus Facebook group and stuff. Like I know mm -hmm. everyone I'm going to go to pork fest in June, which freedom isn't fest? specifically LP, but yeah, pork fest, but um, no freedom fest. Are you going to go to that? Oh, freedom fest. So I wasn't going to, 
because uh, again, I didn't have like the time off from work, yeah. but uh, we will just see what happens. Gotcha. No, I, I think I might, I think I might, I was planning to go last year. It was going to be, I was going to just going to spend the money, go to Vegas, have a good time, you know, and then now it's in South Dakota, it's half the price and it's drivable. So I, I'm definitely going to go to that this summer, but that's cool with pork fest. So let me, let's talk about your videos. Yeah. What, so why, why do you do, how do why do you do the videos the way that you do instead of like a longer form podcast? Um, so one is because there's, you know, like podcasts, I don't think that this is really something where I could just sit down for an hour and talk and like, mm -hmm. have like a coherent, like thought out, like someone like Dave Smith, he can just, or yourself, like, do you do solo shows? I've seen some of your guest shows. Yeah, I do. I mean, I do a weekly solo show and all my guest stuff is, is extra. So, and it's generally like 40 minutes to an hour 20. I got you. So yeah. So just sitting long form, like 40 minutes to an hour and just speaking and having it be interesting and coherent and stuff. I don't think that's really where my strength is. And I don't know if that's just something that I would need to develop or if that's just something that I don't naturally have. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other part of it is that the videos I make are videos that I would want to watch. So I think yeah. that's probably the main part of it that uh, I like the content that I make and I didn't really see anyone else doing stuff like how I do it. So I thought, yeah. Hey, there's a niche here for me. Did you teach yourself the video editing? Basically. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much so my process for like to learn how to do stuff is I want to do this. I'm going to figure out how to do that. Like that's basically it. Yeah. And um, I'll definitely, yeah. I'll definitely link to a couple of them in the show notes page, but I mean, what you do a really good job of is concise content. You know, most of your videos are around are less than 10 minutes. And then you have a couple, couple that are a little bit longer, but nothing longer than 30, which is super important. And something that I struggle with as somebody who tends to wax eloquently at, or at least I'll tell myself that while we talk, you know, but um, you know, it, it's one of those things where you do a good job of making condensed content and then you're constantly, you know, splicing images and then video <laughs> together in a way that keep, you know, that, that keeps somebody entertained. It's very, it's very modern, you know, it's very, it's very YouTube. And, and like I said, it's something that if somebody came across it, even if they didn't know anything, it'd be like, Oh, okay, well, let's see what this is about. Yeah. And I mean, with like my, like, I think what I'm doing, like my last couple of videos are way better than like my first couple. So I think that if you like go through my videos in order, you can see like how much better I've gotten in just like three months or whatever it's been. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, one of the things early on is I would like stop the video to like make a joke and stuff like that. Cause I was worried that like, no one's going to want to sit and listen to me talk for, you know, eight minutes or whatever. Yeah. And that's kind of something that I moved away from to where like now everything's like really fast and concise. Mm -hmm. And um, I did a video on big tech, which is like 13 and a half minutes long. In hindsight, I could have made it shorter and I wish I had made it shorter. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, yeah, so I think that my best stuff is like the shortest stuff. So yeah. that's kind of a big thing to me. Just make my points, make it clearly and make it concise. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and podcasting and, you know, uh, doing soliloquy stuff, it, it is definitely something that comes with practice. Like my first, when I was, when I started up again, my first episode was 10 minutes. And I was, was kind of like, how did I ever talk for an hour at once? But they're really, I mean, I've tried, I've tried at different points in time to do shorter form content and like minute long or five minute long segments. And it, it's, it's a, it takes a real skill to do it because there's one, there's one, there's a certain set of skills when you can kind of just go and like I'm doing now, okay, I'm going to bounce around between a few things and then I'm going to tie it all together at the end. But it's something different when you're trying to say, okay, I have, this much time to get somebody's attention and work them through an idea. How do I actually put that together? 
So I think it's great. I mean, you're, you're definitely right that not a lot, especially in our space, not a lot of people are doing that because most people are just kind of, uh, most people are just kind of copying what, what everybody else does, which is, which is how we work as humans, um, <laughs> you know, is, is we're, we're mimetic creatures. And I kind of do a little bit of a hybrid thing where I draw, I write four articles a week and then I do a solo show that kind of covers those articles plus something in the news, depending on what I do. Um, and then I'm now I'm doing more of these interviews because I think it's really important to, you know, network with people, getting a bounce some ideas off different people, kind of get a feel for, you know, other creators that are out there in the space. And at the, and it's also just kind of fun to sit and talk with somebody else for a little bit that actually agrees with you instead of, instead of being with somebody that you kind of got to bite your tongue and, and yeah. kind of quite, you know, make sure that you're not saying the wrong thing. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been invited to like, Hey, we're a socialist show and we want to kind of question you. Like I haven't had that yet, but you know, that'll be interesting. But yeah, I mean, uh, I like doing any socialist and stuff, listening, you know? please call me because I love, <laughs> I love debate. Oh my, like, yeah, no, you don't even know, dude. A debate is like, it's uh, the reason why I'm doing the LPMC thing is because I'm actually good at Robert's rules of order. Like in that, in that kind of environment, I can, <laughs> yeah, I can, I, know, I like, can have yeah. some fun. Like the parliamentary procedures and stuff and like debates, I have like zero experience with any of that. So I'm not even sure like, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure that at some point, like, you know, someone's going to do like a rebuttal video to me and, uh, you know, all of my audience is going to be like, you should do a debate with them. Like, I don't know if I really want to do a debate. Like I made my argument, they disagree, whatever. And I'm not sure if I'd be good at debates. Like I said, I have no experience, so I would probably just embarrass myself, but, uh, yeah, but you, you know, learn from it, I, you know, but go. it's, but it's good that, you know, <laughs> it's also good to know, like, you know, what, what you're good at and what your, and what your strengths are. Um, and I don't think there's anything, there's nothing wrong with not, I, I like to, I like to put it in two ways. I'll either have a friendly conversation with somebody or I'll have a formal debate with you. I'm happy to do, I'm happy to do either. And we're obviously doing the friendly conversation thing. Um, but there's, but yeah, I'm not like, I, I don't, I don't understand people that want to play like gotcha or do that. But you know, then again, I'm not a leftist, so, and I'm not a communist. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those things where, it's, you know, it's, it, why would I bother? I can, I'm, I feel very comfortable defending our ideas uh, on an open playing field. And, uh, and, and it's, I think at the end of the day, expressing yourself is the important thing, you know, from a philosophical perspective, I think that I don't know, I don't know if truth is attainable, but I know we can understand each other and I know that we can express to one another. And that's what I try to focus on with people, even, even in disagreement. Um, but I wanted, but, you know, let me circle back to something that we said <laughs> earlier that we said earlier. Cause, uh, do you think, cause you know, you talked about like, it could be a civil war. Do you think that we're, I uh, do you not think that we're in a civil war right now. I mean like a hot civil war. So I think that certainly you could say that, you know, we're in like a cold civil war where, you know, there's the left battling the right, like ideologically and stuff. Um, and, you know, there's like cancel culture and all this sort of stuff. There's a, there's definitely, you know, the Trump side of people hate like the progressives, the CNN types and the vice versa. There's a large swath of, of the population that absolutely just hates Trump and Trump supporters and everyone on the right. Mm-hmm. Like uh, we were talking at, at work, like about, you know, Trump looks pretty good for his age. 
and uh, there's this lefty lady who works there who was like, I think Trump's disgusting. It's like, go figure you think that. So, you know, like there's a large part of the population that just hates, like sees mm-hmm. with anger on everything right wing. So I think in that way, certainly that there is a civil war going on. Yeah, no, I, I think um, I've, I've become more convinced. So I'm actually reading through the fourth generational war fair handbook which is written by like a retired Marine general and, uh, and somebody else. Um, and you know, it has like a bunch, it's, it's all, it's all like more strategy, high level military type stuff. And cause if you, if you follow Tim pool at all, he'll talk about, and like Cernovich and some of the, and Jack and Murphy and some of those guys will talk about fifth generational warfare. Well, there's not a book about fifth generational war, but there is about fourth. So that's kind of where I've started. But Scott Adams said that war doesn't have to be kinetic. And that is a really, I, I, this goes back to the point about politics that I was making before. And like the, the time that we live in, I think libertarians have to wreck it, have to um, grapple with that. And I think, I think part of the reason what, what you'll see from like the, like some of these NRX, these neo-reactionary type guys, what they see that a lot of other libertarians don't is the fact that it is a war of a kind. And you know, even Ron Paul thought that we were in some, we were, you know, we were in some kind of a war, right? Um, I don't want to speak, I don't want to mischaracterize his position, but I think that, um, I don't know, I think, I, I, I do, I think that we're in that, and that means, and it's one of those, and certainly if we're going to engage in politics, it's a war, because politics has always been a war, right? It's just an extension of warfare, and it's, it's a way in which we're slightly more civilized than slitting each other's throats, and you know, I think it's a good thing to take that off the table, to take the slitting each other's throats off the table. But I think what a lot, I think a lot of people make the mistake of being like, well, we're all just, you know, it, it, we're just on a college campus trying to do an exchange of ideas. And that I, I miss that in some respects, but I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know that that's the future. So I guess I was curious how you would react to that. And uh, yeah, I know. Share your yeah, thoughts. I mean, I definitely think that there's a culture war. So I think that you can tell with like libertarians who don't think that there's a culture war. Like, they don't get, like, why aren't you for Black Lives Matter? They're anti-police. They're uh, Marxist. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's that part of it, too. Well, but they're Marxist. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it, this, is nothing to, this is nothing to do with the person on the street. This is nothing yeah. to do with the mother whose son was killed by the police. But these people are Marxists, and this is what Marxists do. My family comes from Cuba. There were liberal elements in Cuba who wanted democracy and wanted open and fair, fair elections. You know what happened to them? They teamed up with the communists. And then when it was time to do the elections, Fidel said, surprise, we're going to just do <laughs> communism. And so it's like anybody who is, this is, this is the thing I can't stand. Anybody who associates with Marxist ideas is, is that that's the reason why I do what I do more than anything else. I don't give a shit about the name libertarian. I don't give a shit about, you know, liberalism or anything like that. I, I don't like communists. And I think anybody that's going to sit around and defend communism or defend Marxism per se, not let's have an academic discussion. I'll have the academic discussion and give Marx his due. I'll have it. I can do that by the way. <laughs> you know, it's like, but it's, it's just this, but it's like, I don't understand why you don't like being, well, how about the fact that they're Marxist? Why isn't yeah, that enough? Yeah. And I mean, uh, well, they're like, well, they agree with us. The other argument is like, well, you know, a private company, they have the right to ask you to wear a mask. And I don't get why you're throwing a fit about wearing a mask. And it's like, like, okay, yes. Like in terms of like property rights and stuff, you're correct. But you also don't mm-hmm. get that there's this whole other thing going on behind it between right. 
And that's kind of what I talk about too. And on the hating communists and stuff, I told my dad about uh, like helicopter memes and stuff. Yeah. And I sent him like two and he was like on board, like, like they're so funny. And like, my dad is like, yeah, let's throw the communists out of helicopters. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's kind of how my family is. Yeah. I have to say, I took, I took things. I, I used to take myself, um, a lot more seriously than I do now. Um, you know, okay. If you want to psychoanalyze, I was bullied a lot as a kid. Um, which is never something talked about when, you know, I'm, 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 I'm an oppressor or something like that, but you know, it was, I was somebody who took myself a lot more seriously. And so I didn't see the humor. I, I saw the, I saw some of the humor in it, but it was like, oh, well, we can't do that. Whereas now it's kind of like, yeah, no, it's funny. Don't take, these things aren't serious. If we're going to be serious, if we're going to be serious, then we may as well join the Republican party and just be, and just, you know, and, and be strictly, okay, I'm going to just work in one of these parties to gain power for myself. Cause that's actually being serious when we're talking about the political process or political ideas. There's a little, there's something there's something a little silly about what we're trying to do with the libertarian party right now. And, and just liberty. And there's something a little serious, silly about libertarianism in general, that we're just going to say, Hey, let's actually try freedom and not, and be cool to people and, you know, subscribe to the non-aggression principle. I don't know. That's just, I, I think that's, um, it's an important thing. And maybe, maybe you just kind of get it a little bit more because of how things have, uh, how things have changed. Yeah. I mean, also, like, for me, like, I'm way into, like, offensive comedy and stuff like that. Like, I'm Same. a big, like, Opie and Anthony fan, which, you know, if you watch my videos and you know them, then you know that. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, yeah, literally, like, I don't think that, you know, if you ask someone, like, hey, what's your favorite book? And they say, you know, Das Kapital, I don't think you should just lop their head off. Of course. But uh, at the same time, like, you know, it's funny. Don't get offended by it. Like, uh, I, like I said, I love, like, offensive, like, jokes that you would not tell your grandma which uh, even if I don't agree with it, like, you know, I can still find it funny. You can find the humor and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like the uh, dude who like stripped on on stage at the uh, LP convention, you know what? I don't really condone that. I don't know why he did it. I can still, you know, kind of funny. It's still <laughs> funny. It just makes it what I, I think we, like I said, I think we should, or, or the way I put it is we, we should do what we're doing with a smile on our face. But at the same time, we should, we, we need to make sure we're not considered to be a joke. So uh, I've listened to James Weeks talk about that. He uh, went on Jim Jesus's podcast, The Lowberts, which I think mm -hmm. is a great name for a podcast. And uh, this was a few years ago. And basically the way he explained it, which I think makes sense, I still think it's stupid, but like I get where he was coming from, was they nominated Gary Johnson. And the whole reason you nominate Gary Johnson is we're going to get the former governor. We're going to be official. We're going to be part of the rest of the team. And his whole thing was, if I do this, no one's going to take you seriously. And that mm -hmm. was what he was going for, which still I think is dumb, but you know, I can kind of get where he was coming from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it makes sense. It's um, you know, it, and that's where it comes. That's tactics and optics, you know, and it's, and it's just a question of what do you want the party to be? And, you know, like, like I said, I, I was, um, I was talking with a friend a few months ago and it was like, well, why don't you just, why don't you just go to GOP meetings? Why would you bother with the LP? It's like, well, cause I want my, I want to reflect my values. It, it kind of, yeah. you know, it, it came to that because like I said, you know, I can, I can do the long-term speeches thing. I can do the, um, you know, I can do the speeches. I can do the parliamentary procedure. I can do the voting. Uh, so it's like, I, you know, and I'm cool with having a social club too, but those things need to be separate. You know, if for no other reason, than like I said, I do think that there is something of a war on and, um, 
you may as well you may as well be on the winning side and make your side the one that wins <laughs> yeah i mean that's basically what it comes down to um yeah and i mean with the lp like uh like i said the whole GOP thing, you could make an argument that it's better to, you can spread liberty to more people by joining the GOP and, you know, people make the argument, well, look at Florida, if they had been Democrat, Florida would be a lot worse off. They would have had lockdowns and whatever. Um, but I mean, still at the end of the day, at the end of the day, even if you think that there's more value to the GOP, there is some value to the Libertarian Party, at least like everyone should be able to admit that there is a value to having a Libertarian Party that spreads liberty. I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot of people who are like, what's a libertarian? And they look up the libertarian party platform or libertarian party candidate. What do they believe? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think it's a big thing. So yeah. And then there's also the bad parts of the LP, but we are going to get those flushed out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the idea. Well, thank yeah. you so much for the time, Drew. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, any, was there anything else that you, that was, that's rattling around in your brain before, uh, before we plug and get going? Uh, not really. I think I'm going to go uh, get ice cream after this. Nice. I got some yeah. food delivered to my hotel room tonight and, uh, <laughs> I'll be tucking into that after we, after we leave. Um, so why don't you tell everybody where they can go? Of course, we'll put some links up in the show in the old show notes page, and I'll send you the audio to this when it's done. And you feel free to post this on your YouTube channel after I, like I said, this should go out, uh, this should go out this Sunday after I do my editing. Yeah, so um, my YouTube channel, my name is just Drew Hancock. If you want the link, it's youtube.com slash C slash lockout days, L-O-C-K-O-U-T-D-A-Y-S. Um, and then my Twitter, also my name is Drew Hancock, but the at is at lockout days, L-O-C-K-O-U-T-D-A-Y-S. And um, you can also find me on Odyssey and uh, Library um, too, which same thing, just L-O-C-K-O-U-T-D-A-Y-S, lockout days. Um, but uh, yeah. All right. Hang on. We're gonna you're gonna sit here with me while I go on to hover really quick and see if that's available. Cause if you don't own that domain, you're crazy. What lockoutdays.com? Yeah. Oh really? I don't own it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for me, as everybody knows, you can go to binawake.com and uh, you can find me on all social media at the LB Muniz, M-U-N-I-Z for all of you gringos out there. Let's see, lockoutdays.com. Let's see. Is this available? Really? I need to take that. I know that the gamer tag on Xbox Live isn't available. I'm going to buy it for you right now. All righty, Drew. I appreciate it. (laughs) You have a good night, sir. Great talking to you. Great talking to you. Thanks. If you like what you heard today, go to inawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.